Morning everyone. Uh, thank you to Paul for leading us this morning. Uh, I am going to park our series in Ephesians until after the summer. Uh, a number of people have asked me to do that. And so I reckon it, it, it makes sense. And so on Sunday morning, the 3rd of September, uh, we'll pick up again at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, where we left off last week. But, but for now and for four Sundays uh, during July and August, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12. I, I don't know if you've got a favorite chapter in the Bible, but, but Romans 12 is definitely one of, of my favorites. And so for four weeks, we're going to look at me and God, me and me, me and you, and me and them. Now, don't worry about the English of that. I've already had the grammar police coming and speak to me. But just, just go with it, okay? So for four weeks in the dates are there, me and God, which is this morning, me and me next week, and then me and you, and me and them. So we're going to be thinking about our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with each other, and then our relationship with those we don't quite get on with. And it's all based on this one chapter. And so this morning we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 as we start this mini-series. And what I'd like to do is I'm going to read the first three verses of Romans 12 and then a few verses from the middle of that chapter. And for a change, I'm going to read from the message. Don't often do that, but I'm going to do that this morning. And so can I invite you to stand with me for the public reading of God's inspiring and instructive word. The words will be on the, the screen if you want to follow them. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is, and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do from him. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 9. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Grab a seat. 
some of, some of you might know this already, but there are more commands. There are more commands in Romans chapter 12 than there are in any other chapter in the New Testament. And so this is a chapter of action where Paul kind of, he doesn't just advise or invite. It's stronger than that. He instructs Christian disciples, followers of Jesus, to live in a particular way and to do certain things. And so in this chapter, and certainly the first verse gives us a pretty decent heads up, it calls us to a level of discipleship that demands our souls, our lives, our all. It's a chapter that urges every single one of us who follow Jesus to go deeper, to go further in this adventure of life with God. And I want to suggest right up front that if we lived this out, if we lived out, walked out all 21 verses of Romans chapter 12, our lives would never be the same again. And I suppose that's my prayer for this kind of short series, that my life, that our lives will be impacted and altered as a result of reading these 21 verses. Now, many of you will also be aware that from verse 1 of chapter 1 to verse 36 of chapter 11, Paul has been teaching some pretty seriously heavy-duty Christian doctrine. And at some stage in the future, we will start at the beginning but as he moves into chapter 12, there is this kind of distinct change of emphasis and pace. It's a bit like, for those who have been following the Ephesians series, it's a bit like the change that happens after Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 as you get into 4, 5, and 6. Similar thing happens here at the end of chapter 11 as you get into chapter 12. Paul moves from exposition to exhortation. He moves from doctrine to practice or to put it another way, and I came across this idea during the week, and I like it. He moves from theology to walkology. I don't think it's a real word, but I like it anyway. So Romans 12, if you like, it's more of a, okay, now live the life. We've been thinking about this as we've got to Ephesians chapter 4. Here it is again. Now to live the life. It's all very down to earth in Romans 12. It's very direct. It's very grounded. It's very practical, which is one of the reasons why I love it so much. Although I have to admit that in reading it again, I find it so stretching, so demanding, and also at times downright uncomfortable. So Romans 12, if you kind of want a summary of it, here's, it, here's what it is. It's a criteria. It's a blueprint for an authentic Christian lifestyle. Here is text. Here are instructions. Here are words that challenges us at a very deep level about our attitude and our actions. So what I want to do now is I'm going to read the first two verses again, which we're going to concentrate on in a moment. Only this time I'm going to read them out of the more familiar NIV that most of us probably know it. And here's my summer challenge for you. If you're looking at a bit of a Bible project over the next two months, then here's an idea. I want to encourage you to consider memorizing these first two verses of Romans chapter 12. And for those who are brave and who are up for it, I want to recommend that you consider memorizing the entire chapter. 
Okay, so there's a wee bit of a challenge thrown out. But let's, let's read the first two verses in a text you're familiar with. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, this is your proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Now, therefore, it's one of those, and you know this, it's one of those really important words in the Bible, and I know this is a bit trite, but the reason it's really important is because we need to know what it is there for. Whenever that word appears, you're immediately informed that there's a very definite, strong link and connection what, between what is about to be said and what has already been said. And so as Paul begins this section with, therefore, you're aware, do you know something? I cannot treat what Paul is about to say in isolation. I cannot divorce Romans chapter 12 from Romans chapters 1 to 11. Now, I cannot take time to look at what Paul has been teaching up to this point. But in a nutshell, and I know this doesn't do it justice, and this will upset some people, but in a nutshell, what Paul has done in the first 11 chapters of Romans is he has spent time exposing and explaining the amazing, breathtaking mercy of God. That's been his agenda. That's been what he's been about. That's been his heart. That's been his, his desire to explain, to expound, to teach on the breathtaking mercy of God. And so at the start of, of chapter 12, he writes, therefore, in view, in view of God's mercy, in light of the magical mercy of God, here's now what I want you to do. Here's how you should live. In response to this transition from chapters 1 to 11 into chapter 12, Calvin wrote this, we will never, we will never worship God with a sincere heart or serve God with unbridled zeal until we properly understand how much we are indebted to God's mercy. And so my question this morning as we begin this little mini-series is this, what is your view? What is your understanding of God's mercy. What, what does it mean to you? In many ways, my commitment to discipleship will depend on my appreciation of God's mercy. That, that's just the way it seems to work. My commitment to following hard after Jesus will depend on my understanding of God's mercy. This mercy that, that keeps me, that saves me from getting what I deserve. And so I deserve to be punished. I know that because of my sin. And yet, I'm forgiven. I deserve hell. And yet I get heaven. I deserve to be condemned. And yet... 
I am free. I am pardoned. And I could go on and I could go on. As Paul has made it clear earlier in Romans, he said, listen, it's just much better than we deserve. And because of Christ Jesus, he freely accepts us and he sets us free from our sins. You see, God delights to show mercy, but God's mercy cost him everything. And that's what this table is all about. The cross of Christ, which we have remembered again today, and I love the fact that at Windsor, we remember the cross in this way every single Sunday. And I know there's always a danger that repetition creeps in. And we start to just take it for granted. But I'm so thankful to God that here at Windsor, every single Sunday, 52 weeks of the year, we press pause, we press stop, and we remember we reflect on a broken body and shed blood, which reminds us of the mercy, the amazing, the breathtaking mercy of God that means I receive what I do not deserve. Oh, the miracle of mercy. Jesus reaches down to me. And as Paul begins Romans chapter 12, he writes, listen, in view of God's mercy exposed in the cross, in light of your forgiveness, in light of all that Jesus has done for you, in light of the hope you now have, in light of the freedom you now enjoy, I therefore urge you, I urge you, in light of this, to offer your bodies, to offer your lives, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around lives, I urge you to offer them in view of God's mercy as living sacrifices. Now, those are two words that don't go together. They're contradictory words to be put in the same sentence. This is an oxymoron. Surely the whole thing about a sacrifice in biblical terms as we understand it is sacrifices die. They don't live. And although this, this does sound strange to our ears, it must have sounded ludicrous to the majority of Jewish Christians who are reading this letter first time round. A sacrifice that was presented, that was offered to God, that was consumed. That could never again be reclaimed. The whole idea was this sacrifice belonged entirely, completely, and totally to God. And as the first readers of this letter read this, and as they tried to get their heads around what Paul was attempting to teach them, maybe the penny began to drop. Is it that actually, in view of God's mercy... The way I meant to live is that I am meant to give all of me to God. That that's what God wants. That's what God deserves. Every single part, nothing held back. I have to put my entire body, my entire life, my eating, sleeping, going to work, walking around life. I have to put it on the altar and I've allowed, I have to allow God to consume me. Is that what this is all about? Is that how to live the life? Is that true and proper worship? 
that it's whenever you get up on the altar and you offer your life as a living sacrifice, that is your spiritual act of worship. William Booth, the founder of the, the Salvation Army, was often asked, what is, what is the secret? What is the secret to how God uses you so effectively? And this was his reply. Other people have greater minds, more talent, greater resources. But God has gotten all there is of me. Do you know, in view of God's mercy, says Paul, you've got to offer your entire lives. God in his mercy has given everything and he now invites you to do the same. But there is a problem, and I know it's, again, a cliche, but the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And so let me suggest just two things that hold them in place. I'm not going to say much about these two things, but here are two things that hold living sacrifices in place. Devotion and discipline. Do you know something? And God's Word teaches us really clearly half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity will never result in a living, sacrificial level of discipleship. Wholehearted devotion is essential. It's either all or nothing. It's either our entire lives, every single aspect of our lives, or none of it. And in addition to this devotion that is required to keep living sacrifices in place is daily discipline. Because you see, everything within and around us at times tries to entice and drag us off the altar. Every single Christian sitting here this morning, the old nature, the old nature still vies for position and still calls us to live out chameleon Christianity. Listen, just simply blend in and opt for compromise. Don't take killing us as Christians. Tone it down. Keep it private. If it works for you, it works for you, and that's great. But please, just keep it under wraps. Tone it down. And I want to suggest that you see without devotion and without discipline, those voices will grow louder and louder and the new nature combined with those voices will drown out the new nature in God's voice. And what do I mean by daily discipline? Devotion we kind of get, what, what do I mean by daily discipline? Well, part of the sacrifice is characterized by devotion and discipline. Let me say a little more. I'm not going to speak for too long. Please don't panic. Let me say a little more on the idea of, of offering our bodies. I know, I know Eugene Peterson in it, and I love the way he captures this. He, he talks about our, our sleeping, our eating, and our waking, and our going to work. But I also love this idea of, of present or offer. It's not about surrender, by the way. It's, a, it's about offering. It's about presenting. It's about giving. Offering your bodies to God. You know, our bodies are capable of expressing two things, according to Scripture. They're capable of expressing sin and righteousness. 
They can either do what offends God or what pleases God. So in, in Romans 6, 13, Paul writes, this is earlier, he writes this. Oops, Andrew, can you flick the next one for me? There it is. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. And so within the, within the early chapters of Romans, Paul actually outlines how you can use your bodies one of two ways. We, we all know this. Not teaching anyone anything they don't know. But you can use your tongue to be deceitful. You can use your tongue to curse, says Paul. You can use your tongue to gossip. You can use your tongue to be negative. You can use your tongue to say critical things about people. Paul says, you can use your eyes to look away from God. You can use your feet to take you to places of destruction. But as instruments of righteousness, so Paul says, listen, of course you can use your body as an instrument of wickedness. But you can also use it as an instrument of righteousness. So you can use your lips to speak truth. You can use your lips to affirm other people. You can use your hands to lift the fallen. You can use your arms to embrace the lonely. You can use your ears to hear the cries of the distressed. You can use your eyes to focus on God. You can use your feet to walk his paths. And so it goes on and it goes on. You see, what we do with our bodies matters. It matters to God. And therefore, Paul urges Rather, he commands. He says, listen, present your bodies to God as living sacrifices. But he says, you know something, this is hard. And so in Romans 7, Paul admits, do you know all those things that I want to do? I don't do them. And all those things that I don't want to do, I keep doing them. And so we are going to get this wrong. But we need to be willing to keep climbing back up onto the altar. You see, a life that is dedicated to God is, according to verse 1, it's a sacrificial life. And so my question this morning, have you, are you presenting, offering your lives, your bodies to God. Why? In view of his mercy. And then secondly, really quick, a life dedicated to God's a transformed life. That's not working, Andrew. Fire the next one for me. And a transformed life, this transformation that Paul talks about, it affects the way we think. It involves a renewing of our minds. It, the Bible teaches, and we know this anyway, that the mind is a complex hive of activity. We have been created, and this is amazing, we have been created with this ability to reason, to understand, to form opinions, to learn, to make choices, to imagine things, to think, all through the use of our minds. And so the Bible, as a result of that, is packed with references to and advice about our minds, including the classic, the central command of Scripture, the one Jesus said that just summarizes it all. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. And back in chapter one, Paul shares how an unchristian mind, and this is, this is his words, an unchristian mind is dark and confused. And so what an unchristian mind leads to is lives that are characterized by all kinds of negative attitudes and behavior. And he lists them, greed, hate, deception, gossip, pride, arrogance, the list goes on. It's not nice reading. A Christian, on the other hand, is different. Why? Because the God of this age has no longer blinded their minds. Light has pierced darkness. And a Christian mind is therefore undergoing a process of renewal. And as Paul makes clear, this is an ongoing process. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It implies a continuous action. And a Christian is someone who is allowing God to constantly shape and reshape the way they think. So they are not buying into the prevailing mindset of the world around them. They are not being conformed or wanting to be conformed to the pattern of this world. They are not allowing popular thinking to squeeze them into its mold. So then the question is, what does it look like whenever God is shaping and influencing your mind? Again, it's great, great saying these things, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's a continue. But what does that actually look like? Let's get practical. Well, I believe a God-renewed and renewing mind is seen in a life that is characterized by the opposite of the list that I just read from Romans 1. So it's, it's a life of humility instead of a life of pride. It's a life of love instead of a life of hate. It's a life of truth instead of a life of lies. It's a life of contentment instead of a life of greed and envy. And so you could go on. And although Paul here doesn't actually tell us, okay, I now get what that looks like, I get what I'm aiming for, but how, how do you renew your mind? How do you allow God to shape and reshape my thinking? Because this world screams at me, this world is constantly trying to get me to conform to its image. And for me, and I believe the rest of Scripture teaches this, that a key component of renewing your mind is, next slide please, Andrew, it's a submission to God's Word. You see, a Christian mind is committed to the truth of God's Word and its authority. A Christian mind is not first concerned with, well, what do I think about this? Or what does society say about this? A Christian mind thinks, well, listen, what has God said? What has God said? And so a Christian's mind allows God's word to inform and to determine decisions and influences and choices. A Christian mind allows God's word to realign thinking. A Christian mind allows God's word to alter perspective. I'm not suggesting you cannot develop a Christian mind without submission to God's word, but I am saying you will find it near impossible to develop a Christian mind without regularly engaging with the Bible on a regular basis, personally, corporately, and in community. And so as you head off on holiday, if you're heading off on holiday this week, please don't forget to pack your Bible. Or maybe, just maybe, just maybe take with you on holiday a copy of Romans chapter 12. That's it. 
and just read it every single day on holiday and consider the challenge to memorize it. I need to finish. God wants your body. He wants your mind. He wants all of you. And so in summary, don't ever, says Paul, lose sight of God's mercy. Keep the cross in constant focus. And in view of that, in light of that, two things, offer your body, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. How? Via devotion and discipline. And be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How? As you read, as you engage with, as you meditate on, and as you obey God's word. May God help those of us who are following Jesus to keep putting ourselves on that altar, saying, God, you've got all of me. All of me. I'm holding nothing back because you deserve it all. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I'm going to ask the guys to come back. We're going to sing all heaven declares. But let's pray for a moment before we do that. Father, I do thank you again for your instructive word. And I do thank you for this this chapter in your word, Romans 12, that is just packed full of instructions. And I pray for these two that we have thought about this morning. I pray for each of us who follow Jesus, each of us who have experienced the mercy of God, that in light of that, God, you would help us to go from here and to offer our bodies and be transformed. And I pray this in Jesus' name.